How do you deal with offenses? Tonight we're going to study our Lord's teaching in Luke chapter 17. And tonight's study records the closing events of that Sabbath afternoon in Perea. Now we started this a number of weeks ago, and in fact a number of chapters ago. Remember we, we began all the way back when Jesus in chapter 14 had been invited on the Sabbath to go to the Pharisee's house. And really it wasn't a very genuine invitation because the whole goal was to trap him. So we have been studying about this one Saturday now for a number of weeks. Jesus had been addressing the Pharisees and then he switched and talked to his disciples. Then in the middle of chapter 16, he addressed the Pharisees again. Now at the beginning of chapter 17, he switches back. And remember, everyone is still standing there. In fact, the publicans and the sinners had begun to crowd around him. And that's what really made the Pharisees angry. And so now all these people are standing around and our text chapter 17 beginning at verse 1 is still that same day with that same group of people and Jesus warns them about a common problem offenses how do you deal with offenses let's look at chapter 17 beginning at verse 1 then, see, then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than, he, than that he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. And the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. But which of you, having a servant, plowing, or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me, till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant, because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You know, the word offense is often used differently today. 
and therefore it confuses us as we read this text. Let me read you three definitions, in fact, the three definitions listed in the dictionary, and you choose which definition best describes how we use this word today. Offense. A violation of what is judged to be natural or right. You offended or violated the law is the way that definition would be used. Second definition, an annoyance or resentment brought about by a perceived insult to or disregard for oneself or one's standards or principles. In a sentence, we would say, your actions offend my sensibilities or what you did hurt my feelings. The third definition that the dictionary reads is the action of attacking someone or something. Used in a sentence, the robber attacked the homeowner with an offensive weapon. In fact, we even talk about, you know, you've got offense and you've got defense in football, okay? Now, which of those definitions are the ones that we often hear used the most in our society today? One, two, three, or a combination of those? Which ones would you say are more common? I would have said two, maybe not you, but I would have said two. But you know, none of the dictionary definitions meet, define what this word in our text means of offense because it wouldn't apply. None of those would apply. So what is Jesus saying to us? And here's the lesson tonight we're going to look at. Live considering how your life impacts others. So let's come back to, I want you to notice, we're going to look at a couple different things that Jesus teaches us in these 10 verses tonight. The first thing I want you to notice is the serious warning to the offender. The serious warning to the offender. And then he's going to speak to the offendee, if, if you can say that. Notice the meaning of offenses here. The word here, the root word is the idea of scandalon. We hear the word scandal. But what it means is a a scandal, you know, is something that, that happens in our society, that we see how people have, have treated each other. We say, well, that was scandalous. Or, But the idea in the Greek was it was the movable stick or a trigger of a trap. Think of a box with a stick so that when someone walks by and brushes the stick, the box falls down over something you're trying to trap. Or it would be like on a huge trap, that little plate that gets held in place by a, by a stick or by the metal piece, and when something touches the plate in the middle, the trap springs. The idea of offense here has the word of scandal, and it has the idea of the stick that, tra that, that springs the trap. It's not the trap itself, it's the stick that springs the trap. 
So it's something that sets off the track, uh, the trap. Other translations uh, make our Lord's words maybe a little more clear. One translation says, um, it is impossible that temptations will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. Another way to say it is, it is impossible but that things that tempt people into a trap will come. But woe to the one who causes the people to go into the trap. Or another word that would be a common word would be the word stumbling block. Something that someone trips over to fall into something. So we have this idea of Jesus says, Woe, there is a special warning. And he says, you need to understand something. He said, there are going to be temptations, stumbling blocks, things that cause people to not keep going the way they should, either so that they fall or so that it holds them back. And then he wants us to know something else. He says, I want you to know that there is a certainty that you're going to run into temptations and you're going to run into stumbling blocks. You know, you're going to go out and each one of us are going to face stumbling blocks. Every one of us needs to recognize there are going to be enticements, there are going to be things in front of us that are going to cause us to get sidetracked or to get caught, to get trapped. Interestingly enough, Jesus, talking to his disciples, says it's important that you don't be one of these stumbling blocks, that you don't become one of these things that entices and then triggers so that someone gets caught. You know, that's an important thing for us just to recognize how easy it is, even in Christian environments, that any person could be a trigger point. But notice the warning about being a stumbling block. He says, whoa. We don't use that very often. I mean, occasionally we'll say, whoa. What are we usually meaning? Pause, don't go any further. Well, that kind of has the idea, only it's a whole lot more serious. When he says, whoa, it's an interjection of grief or or denouncing something, or saying, really bad, don't go on. And you say, well, what is the really bad thing that's going to happen? You know, he doesn't ever say. But what he does say is he gives us a comparison. He gives us a comparison of the severity of how bad this is. And what he says is, it it would be better to try to swim in the sea. Now, it could be the Mediterranean Sea he was talking about. It could have been the Sea of Galilee he was talking about. But he said it would be better if you were to take a swim in the sea with a millstone tied about your neck, trying to tread water, trying to swim with a millstone. Now, this wasn't just a small grinding stone. This would have been a larger grinding stone, one that it would have taken an animal to move to help grind. There were two grinding stones. There was a, there was a bottom and a top. And there would have been a hole in the top to where they could put the 
the grain down in it, and then an animal would turn this, and it would grind for them. Now, in reality, what was Jesus saying? Can you swim with a couple hundred pound stone tied about your neck? And the answer is no. So what would be the end result if you went swimming with a millstone about your neck? A very short lifespan. Now, with that in mind, what was Jesus saying? How serious did he view causing someone to stumble, causing someone to get trapped, someone who would get caught in, in, in a sin trap. He said, it would be better that you weren't alive. Now, interestingly enough, he talks about one of these little ones, one of these young ones. Now, in that he's been talking to this group of people, in reality, he probably was meaning one of these young uh, person, people young in the faith, someone who was young uh, in their walk with the Lord, in their faith. Yet the reality is we could take this and understand someone who hurts children, it would be better that they were dead than to hurt children. But it would be better that we were dead than we caused someone to stumble. Why is that that way? Why was Jesus so serious about this? Because you see, people are constantly learning from us. And as people are learning from us, they're learning what a Christian walk should be. These were Jesus' apostles. These are Jesus' disciples. And what happens is, is that when they, when people look to us and they say, what should I do? How should I live? And they look in our life, what do they see? Do they see something that maybe we're doing okay with, but we cause someone else to stumble? It's interesting to me, you know, I, I try to be very careful. I don't, I'm not trying to guilt trip you. I'm not trying to put pressure on you, but I cannot mince words with what Jesus said. Jesus said, it's a woe. Well, what do you mean a woe? He, he gave the comparison, this woe, it would be better for you to swim with a millstone on your neck than it would be for you to cause someone to be offended. Like I said, we often use this word offend kind of in an odd way. You know, I don't want to offend you if I do this. Well, usually what we mean is I don't want to, I don't want to hurt your sensibilities. I don't want to... Um, I don't want to insult or disregard your standards. You know, I hope this doesn't offend you that I wear pants tonight. I hope it doesn't offend you that I would wear shorts tonight. Well, how would my wearing shorts, or how would my cause you to stumble? Well, you would say, well, because you're up preaching and you're not showing respect to what you do. Okay, maybe. But you see, we have taken this word, and therefore when we read it, you say, well, I just don't want to offend anybody. And what we really mean is I'm afraid to do anything because if I do anything, someone's going to have their feelings hurt. That's not what Jesus was teaching. What Jesus is teaching is, he says, I want you to notice how serious this is. He says, I want you to understand, you know, it's possible for us to be the seller of temptation either by our speech, 
or by our lifestyle or by some specific activity that we do. And Jesus made this statement in verse 3, the very beginning of verse 3, he says, take heed to yourself, pay attention, literally watch, be on your guard. Why? Why would he have to tell us to be on our guard not to offend people? Because we do. Because we can. Because it comes naturally. I can offend really easily. I don't even have to work at it. Offending people and understanding, not hurting their feelings, so I can do that too, but it's not the hurting of the feelings, it's causing someone to have the wrong view of what, what the right way to live is. And remember, the right way to live is the best way. It's not, it's not the, well, I'm a Christian and I have to live this way, but we give the wrong impression of the right path to walk on. He says, there is a personal responsibility that we have. Don't let your life put temptations before young converts, between, before immature believers. Now notice, he talks about this very stern warning to someone who would offend, but now he has this surprise response he expects from people who are being wronged. Notice verses 3 through 5. And there he says, if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Remember the inevitable in verse 1, and that is people are going to set traps in front of you. The thing we're concerned about is we just don't want to be the one setting traps. But we do need to make sure as young people and even as older people, but remember the whole warning was as older people, we should understand as, and when I say older people, I mean as mature believers. If you are a mature believer, you should understand the traps that are going to be out there. It's the immature believers who don't understand those traps. Therefore, we don't want to put that in front of them. But he says now on the other side, as he's speaking to his apostles, he says, remember the inevitable is going to be around you. You are going to be trespassed against. The idea is to wander off the path of uprightness, of, of, uh, to wander off the path of righteousness and honor. The idea of missing the mark. It's the very thing you're working so hard to avoid is what's being done to you. People are doing things that could set you off, set you off the path. And why do you notice it so quickly? Because you say, I'm working so hard not to do this to anybody, and they're doing this to me. And notice Jesus' surprise command. When people are doing wrong, acknowledge the wrong. You don't just pretend it didn't happen. If he sins against you, notice, what do you do? You tell him. You rebuke him. You notice how Jesus doesn't ask you to live in an unreal world. Jesus tells you, this is going to happen, so here's how you treat it. You confront it. You acknowledge the wrong, you rebuke him, and the idea of rebuke has the idea of to, rest, uh, to speak with the purpose of restraining. The purpose of the confrontation is not vindication, but love, so the person doesn't keep doing it again. Why? Because there's a woe on people who cause people to stumble. 
So the most loving thing that any one of us can do is to go to a person who is causing people to stumble or putting a trap in front of us and to rebuke them. To speak for the purpose of restraining them so they don't keep doing that same thing. And notice the expected reaction. You know, he says, if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again and say, I repent, you should forgive him. Notice what he's telling. He's saying, you expect the person to hear you. There's the possibility of a person hearing you and having a change of mind about the action. But interestingly enough, just because he has a change of mind about the action doesn't mean that the action stops happening right away. And he comes back to you seven times in a day. He said, and each time he says, I want you to forgive him. The idea of repent is to think differently. I thought this was an interesting definition to afterwards reconsider. You know, I, I'm, I'm sad that that happens sometimes. You know, we would do better to reconsider before it happened, right? We would reconsider before we actually do it. But that's not what the word means. The word means to reconsider afterwards. I did it again. I did it again. Oh, I've got this habit and I did it again. And each time you're coming back to the person and you're going, you did it again. And you go, I'm sorry. I forgive you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I forgive you. <clears throat> I'm really sorry. I, I didn't mean to do it again. Will you forgive me? And the problem is now we can react in such a way that we cause them not to want to get it right because they're so embarrassed. They just would rather live with it than to have to come back to you again. And now what have we done? We've now set a trap because of our response so that someone doesn't want to do the right thing. Do you see how easy it is to get into this circular pattern? And Jesus is saying, oh, I want you to be aware of what do you do with offenses? What do you do with temptations that are put before you? What do you do with stumbling blocks? Now, the standard excuse we find in verse 5. What is the standard excuse? I don't have enough faith to live that way. Or to put it in King James ease, increase our faith. I can't do that. I can't live that way. I don't have the ability. This is too hard. It cannot be done. We don't have this in us. Pastor, I hear what you're saying. I hear what Jesus said, but that's not real life. I can't do that. And notice Jesus' response beginning in verse 6. Jesus said, if ye had the faith of a grain of a mustard seed, you could say do this and do this and do this. What was Jesus' point? He says in verse 7, But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by when he has come from the field, Go and sit down to eat. Which of you, when you see someone who's already working hard for you, and he's talking about in the servant realm, he says, Which of you would say, 
you sit down here and let me fix a meal for you and let me take good care of you. You say, no, that's not what happens. You come in, you sit down, you expect the servant to still feed you, to do what he's supposed to do, and then afterwards eat. Now, the point here is not about how to treat a servant. Notice what Jesus ends it with when Jesus says in verse 10, so likewise, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded you. What were the things that were just commanded? That you shouldn't put a stumbling block in front of someone. And when someone does something wrong to you, that you continually rebuke and forgive and rebuke and forgive and rebuke and forgive. And about this time, you're feeling like, wow, I must be someone really super that I have rebuked and forgiven this person all these times. And Jesus says, no, you've just done what I've asked you to do. This is the normal thing that my followers do. You see, servants do what they're asked to do, and it's nothing special. What's happening is, is that Jesus is trying to change the way we think. What Jesus is presenting here is counter cultural. Counter meaning against, going the opposite direction. You know, on an airplane, you've got counter rotating. If you've got two, two engines, they're counter rotating. They don't go the same direction. They're counter rotating. And why do they do that? Because of how it, it helps the airplane fly. For us, this is going to be different than the world. This is different. You see, Satan's a liar. Satan would tell you, you live any way you want, and if, what, and if what you do causes someone to trip, that's their problem. You ever hear someone talk like that? You got the problem. If you stumbled, you got the problem. And the answer is, well, yes, I've got the problem. But what did Jesus say? It would be better. Temptations are going to come, but it would sure be better if the temptation didn't come through you. In fact, Jesus said, whoa, your whole purpose for living is out the window if you're causing someone to misunderstand the right way to live. Satan also tells you, no one better ever do anything else that's going to hurt you or else. And what did Jesus say? You need to understand it's going to happen all the time. You're going to get hurt all the time. Your kids are going to hurt you. Your spouse is going to hurt you. Your neighbors are going to hurt you. Your coworkers are going to hurt you. Everybody's going to hurt you. You see, the problem with us is not that we lack the power, that we lack the faith. The problem is, Jesus said, we just don't commit to do what we're told to do. God says that true living includes caring for how our lives impact others. How important is that? People are so important that you've missed your purpose for living if your life is causing other people to miss God, to miss his path. True living includes forgiving people when they hurt you. And that's just what God says to do. You see, we don't live our lives fearful of hurting someone's feelings. 
but we are watchful that we don't give them wrong information on how to live. And that's what Jesus tells us in these 10 verses. And he gives us, he deals with the arguments that we usually would have as, well, I, I can't do that. As if that is a really good argument. The one who made us and the one who empowers us is the one who says, be really careful how you live and be ready because people are going to hurt you. How do you deal with offenses? Well, follow what Christ says. <laughs>